Let us now open our Bibles, and this morning we will read from the Old Testament. Once again, we will read from the prophecy of Isaiah. Last time I was here, I also read and preached from Isaiah this morning, and hope to do the same in reading them from Isaiah 49, and we'll read the entire chapter. Isaiah 49, hear then the word of our God. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, whom I will be glorified, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, Kings shall see and arise princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear and they shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste, your destroyers, and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste in your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants, and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, This place is too narrow for us. Make room for me to dwell in. 
Then you will say in your heart, Who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away, but who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Congregation, the text for this morning's sermon is found in the passage we read from, from Isaiah 49. Our focus will be on the verses 13 through 16. And let us read those verses again. And there we read, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget his nursing, her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And so far, our text, and after the proclamation, let us respond in song, singing of God's great love in hymn 35, the stanzas 2, 3, and 4. Beloved in the Lord, he loves me, he loves me not. I'm sure these words are somewhat familiar for many of us. Actually, these words, he loves me, he loves me not, are part of a cute little game in which one person seeks to determine whether the one they love loves them in return. And someone who plays this, this game alternately speaks the phrase, he loves me, he loves me not, while picking one petal off a flower, usually a daisy, for each of those phrases. And the phrase they, they speak on, picking off the last petal of that flower, is supposed to represent the truth of whether the object of their love, of their affection, truly loves them or not. Now, we as, as believing people do at times seem to play this game with God. When in one way or another, we basically say, He loves me, He loves me not. For we so easily doubt God's love for us, even thinking at times that He has forgotten all about us, especially when times are hard and difficult when our relationships are broken, when 
illness overwhelms, when the death of loved ones hit us, when our income doesn't pay our bills, when our businesses are struggling to survive. Sure, we, we know, we know of, of his loving promises, of his care, of, of saving us, and yet this struggle, this struggle of knowing something in our heads but not feeling it in our hearts is, is common. And this can lead us to search for love and acceptance in, in other places, in wrong places. And so it is important to reflect on this because it can make harder times, yes, even more hard. And deepen our feelings of being forgotten by him. And so what is the truth? What is the truth about God's love for us? Well, a humorous twist on this game, if played with respect to God, would have us truthfully confess, yes, he loves me, he loves me lots. Indeed, God loves you and me lots, you can say. And this is what we'll see in our text of this morning. Yes, this passage speaks of God's abundant love for us and this love our Lord God does not cease for us. As he has promised to be our loving God and Father in all circumstances. And thankfully, when we look at our text of this morning, God gives us an astounding picture of his love. Let's come to see the depths of God's love. And so God's word comes to us this morning summarized in this way. The Lord will not forget us. Consider his love for us. And we'll look at his word of love and then also at his deed of love. Yes, this morning we continued our reading in the prophecy of Isaiah. We just read from Isaiah 49. And we need to know we are in that part of the prophecy where we find what has been called the, the servant songs. And the first part of our reading of this morning was just one of those servant songs. Actually, the first of these servant songs is found back in, in chapter 42. The second one is here in the beginning of chapter 49. The third one follows in, in Isaiah 50. And, and the last one, the best known, is found in chapters 52 and 53. And then in all these servant songs, our Lord God directed his people then and also us today towards the one who was to come and that is to his great servant, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's especially in that last song, the one in chapter 52 and 53, that we see what, what would await him. And you would see that he indeed would be the suffering servant. And so with these songs we see is that God so loved the world that he, he gave his only son. And what happened was that his son would come in human flesh. In fact, we're told that back in Isaiah 7, verse 14. There you can clearly read, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and this, this child is to be called Emmanuel, that is God with us. And that's what we're going to celebrate at the end of this week with Christmas. And so we see this, this servant of the Lord God would be unique. He would be both God and man. Yes, man. He would take upon himself a second nature. He would take upon himself our human nature. Now here in the beginning of chapter 49, 
Isaiah does prophesy how this servant would have a beginning like you and like me. In this way, this servant would have a very typical human beginning. As this servant says there in verse 2, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named my name. And yes, even before the Lord Jesus was conceived in his mother's womb, in Mary's womb, Mary had been told, yes, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Yes, having a human beginning, a humble beginning, and yet at the same time he would remain God. He would be truly divine, and that was also necessary if he was to save his people from their sins, if he was to bring them complete salvation. Now, already back in the Old Testament, the Lord God would bring his people the wondrous gift of salvation. Back then, they were told that they would be brought back from exile in Babylon. But really, that gift of return, that gift of salvation, really didn't compare to the greater gift that he was about to give. For as we're also told in those opening verses, in particular in verse 6, of this servant, yes, he would raise up the tribes of Jacob, bring back the preserved of Israel. Yes, it would be through this suffering, serving God would bring a more glorious gift of salvation for God's covenant people of old, the people of Israel. For his work of salvation would not just be for one nation, but it would be for all the nations of the earth. And that's what's made clear in the next verse, in verse 6. There God says to his servant, yes, I will make you a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Indeed, you see then in a better gift of salvation would be given in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is, beloved Lord Jesus Christ, who would be able to remove all our sins by his precious blood, but there is more to his work of, of salvation than just forgiving our sins. He would also graciously renew us by the Holy Spirit so that once again we could serve. Yes, this is, you could say, the full package of salvation that's available in Jesus Christ. Yes, full and complete salvation in him. Now, how did this salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ come about? Well, as we're told in, in the next verse, in verse 7, as the servant of the Lord, he would be despised. He would be rejected. He would suffer deep and utter humiliation, even dying on a cross. He would be completely forsaken by all. And thus the focus in the servant song which follows this one, and especially the servant song in chapter 53 is on the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. You read it so clearly in that last chapter in 53. Yes, he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Yes, it is in this way that he has brought us a better salvation where we indeed could be saved from our sins. For yes, beloved, it is the sin of mankind which lies that at the root of all the brokenness and suffering and misery in our lives and of this world. 
And yet here we have indeed in this passage this hope given to God's people. God's people then, but also us today. As the prophet would mention in the next verse, in verse 8, there is a day of salvation. This is the day in which God's people can expect restoration. Already in those days they were expecting restoration. They expected to be restored to the promised land. But for us there is a greater day of salvation. There is a day also of restoration for us. That is the day when we return to God, when we turn from our sins and we turn towards Him and seek to serve Him in every aspect of our daily lives. This is the salvation that he offers us that has an impact on every aspect of our human existence. And this is something truly greater than what the people receive when they return from exile. What saving love the servant of the Lord would bring in, indeed just not for one nation then, but for all the nations. And yes, one day that restoration, that salvation would be complete when all the nations, when all the tribes would come to Mount Zion in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, hearing these words, you can see they're words of, of comfort, of encouragement. As God's people back then were facing exile in a strange land, in the land of Babylon. And that's also why we can read there in the first verse of our text that command, that great command of the Lord God then to rejoice. Is there in verse 13, he commands, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. Yes, this is the response that God is seeking. God is seeking from everyone and everywhere in this world. From all creation, from the heavens above, the earth below us, the mountains around us, but also from every one of us here. Yes, from every one of us. God is looking for that response of joy, of thanksgiving. Yes, a joyful response needs to come from us. It needs to come from those who live around us. It needs to come from this entire world. There is this worldwide joy in our God. We need to rejoice, you can say, in Him always. Not just now as we move to this time of year when we celebrate His birth, but at any and every time of the year, we are to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord God. Really, each and every one of us should have a deep and abiding joy in the Lord our God through Jesus Christ. This is the response that each and every one of us, yes, individually, but then together, need to bring forth. And let us express that joy, beloved. Express it when we call out to Him in prayer. Express that when we're sitting here singing His praises. Express that joy also as we go about living our daily lives. We really need to live in the joy of salvation. For we are reminded here by the prophet Isaiah why we should rejoice. He reiterates the reason you could say there in verse 13b for as he says there, the Lord has comforted his people. He will have compassion on the afflicted. Now this is actually not the first time that the comfort of the Lord God is mentioned in this prophecy. Just think of the well-known opening words of Isaiah 40. The hymn, we know that hymn so well. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
And here too, then, in our text, the call is for us to joyfully confess, yes, that our comfort, our consolation is found in the Lord God, in the wonderful work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, it is in Him that we have our only comfort, our only comfort in body and soul, in life and death. For yes, thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ, we belong. We are not forsaken. In Him, yes, we also have a Father who truly loves us and cares for us. And thus we're not forsaken. And it is in Jesus Christ we have the Holy Spirit who fills us, who lives in us, and so we're not forsaken. Yes, it is with the Spirit that we can be filled with thankful joy, even in the midst of times of trouble and, and tribulation. But, but, and that little word but, that's how verse 14 begins. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord God has forgotten me. These words are a real letdown. The prophet has just told us that nothing will separate us from God's saving love in Jesus Christ. And then we have God's people here looking around, and we can do the same looking at our troubles and trials, and then we can so easily mumble and complain, the Lord has forsaken me. He has forgotten me. That's what the people were saying back then. And think about it, they were facing 70 years of exile in a strange country. There they were by the rivers of Babylon, crying, feeling completely dejected and rejected. And they would have asked, like we may ask at times, where is the love of the Lord? Sure, we consider ourselves to be the Lord's children. We have those times, though, when we ask, where is His love for us? When especially when we deal with one disappointment after another, when we are in despair in the midst of trials and, and troubles, we so easily can feel forsaken and forgotten. But that really is not the case with the Lord God. It's not a case with Him of being out of sight, out of mind, not at all. The Lord God does not forsake His people. He does not forsake Zion. Instead, it's so often us, yes, you and I, that forget Him, that forsake Him. Please remember the Lord God never forsakes us. He never forgets us. He never abandons us, His dearly beloved children. For our God is abounding in His love towards us. We can say He is all love for us. In fact, His love you is more mindful than the love of a nursing mom. That's what Isaiah goes on to describe, yes, for us. As God uses here this beautiful, this powerful metaphor which describes, which speaks so wonderfully of His great and abounding love for us. His love is very much like the love of a nursing mother for, for her baby. It says the prophet Isaiah asks there in verse 15, can such a woman forget her nursing child you should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Now, in everyday life, we know of no greater love than, than a woman of a mother for her nursing baby, the baby she gave birth to. 
is that's what God wants us to think about here, about something that will change our hearts, affect our feelings. He wants us to think of that, that bond, that deep bond of love, of, of a mom for her baby. And really, with her deep love, a mom cannot forget her baby. She cannot physically forget her baby as she needs to nurse when her milk comes down. And then in those moments she's drawn to her baby in love, she needs to feed her little one. She can't forget her. And she cannot emotionally forget her baby either. There's a real true love and contentment when, when she sees her baby, when she holds her baby. Really such love of mom for her baby is, is unconditional. Now in marriage, in a relationship between husband and wife, it's all about give and take. But in that relationship between mom and baby, it's all about give. And mom's giving Filled with much love, mom gives and gives and gives some more. And the baby, as we all know, the baby only takes. Yet in love, mom keeps giving herself for her baby. Her life, you could say, revolves around her baby. Talk about sacrificial love. Really, how can she, how can mom forget? Yes, night and day, yes, the baby demands mom's love, mom's affection, mom's attention. Really, the baby is wholly dependent on mom's unending love. And now we're also told here, but even these, even these mums forget. They're not perfect. They are sinful. They have their moments. And eventually, they, you can say, abandon their, their babies as their babies grow up. In that sense, mums will forsake them. But then God says, but, but I will not forget them. I will not forsake them. He's saying my love is, is much greater than a mom's love for, for a nursing baby. Indeed, my love as father for you, my children, is, is truly deep and it's everlasting. You have ever before me as, as your God and Father. My love is fixed on you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It's what God gives us here is the great assurance of his love, his abiding love for us. He gives us here some of the most love-filled words of the Old Testament. And indeed, the Lord's love for his people for Zion is greater than that, that selfless love that we know of a mother for her baby. What a comfort it is, beloved, to know of God's great love for us. And he will speak of that love later on in the same prophecy in chapter 66 where God says, you shall nurse, you shall be carried on her hip and bounced on her knees. He says, one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And so, yes, the prophet Isaiah gives these words of love. The love of our God. It's greater. It's better. than any love the nursing mom can give. Yes, in his love he will say, I will not forget you. Yes, nothing is more powerful than to hear those words, I will not forget you as God's people 
together, but also as individuals, even when we are afflicted with trying and troubling times. But then you might be thinking, well, those, those are all words. Words, words, words. It's all talk on God's part. Of his love being greater than that of, of a nursing mother for a baby. What we really need, and you might be thinking, is action. Words are important, but actions are more important. For sure, those babies, they grow up, and they don't remember those earlier sacrifices of love that mom made for them. Where, oh God, where, oh God, is your great sacrificial love truly shown to us? Where is that shown in, in concrete action? And that brings us to our second point, his deed of love. For God continues to speak here. He says, see, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Talk about action. This is quite the act of God for us. He wants us to see what he has done. He says, there in the beginning, yes, see, look. We need to see God, yes, spreading out his hands before us so we can see the palm of his hands and then we are to see that our names are engraved on the palms of his hands. Now, how often don't we as kids write something, reminders on the palms of our hands and we do that with ink don't you remember doing this? I do. Actually, I did quite often, but then I got ran stuck a few times when I washed the palms on my hands and I didn't remember what I wanted to. Now, sometime back in Isaiah's day, people would make this reminder on their body more permanent. They would put tattoos on their body even tattoos on their hands. That was an unheard of. Slaves, for example, were physically tattooed. They were marked, you can say, reminding them that they belonged to their master. And don't we read something like that in Isaiah 44, verse 5, where people would write on their hands, yes, the Lord's. Reminder that they belong to him. But here it's completely different. It's not us as servants or slaves who are ta tattooed or written on. But if you look at our text, it's our Lord and Master who is. And it's not a case that his, God's palms on his hands are merely tattooed or written on. If you look closely, the metaphor is actually far more terrible. Here in, on God's palms... Our names are engraved, or as it literally says, chiseled or marked. You need to think of the palms of God's hands being marked with a hammer, pounding on a chisel, on a spiker, on a nail. Yes, God's hands. We know about God's hands. Remember what God has done with his hands? You can read about that back in Isaiah 12. 
There God said, it was my hands, my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. It indeed is with his hands that God our Father created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including us. You can say it is with his hands that the Father also upholds this entire universe. We know the song from the kids, yes, he has the whole world in his hands. And in that sense, we can be comforted every day knowing that each one of us is in good hands, his loving and his caring hands. But now our Father is saying here, I have engraved, I have chiseled, I have cut you on the palms of my hands. And that's exactly what his Son would experience. As God's Son, Jesus Christ prophesied about this in, in Psalm 22, they have chiseled, they have pierced my hands. And indeed, a few centuries later, yes, the palms of God's Son, Jesus Christ, the palms of his hands were pierced. They were chiseled with nails. And on an afternoon of that same day, he eventually cried out to his Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and then he died. But then we also know that he rose from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, yes, there was Thomas who who spoke about God's hands, the Jesus' hands. Remember how, how Thomas was filled with doubt? He was very much saying what we read earlier in our text, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. Thomas said, unless I see in his hand the mark of his nails and place my finger in the mark of his nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And then Jesus did appear. He appeared to his disciples again, and Thomas was there. And then Jesus said to him, put your fingers here and see my hands. He's basically saying to Thomas, see my love. See my love for you. Feel what I have done for you. Indeed, Jesus Christ had been nailed in the palms of his hands to the cross outside of Zion, outside of the city of Jerusalem. Yes, he was taken outside. He was rejected in that way, and he was put to death. And there on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just when you're about to say to yourself, God has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. Remember, it was our Lord Jesus Christ who was forsaken, who was forgotten, so that you might be accepted by God and nevermore be forsaken by Him. There is no need for us to be restless, anxious, and doubting children. We have a Father who has truly loved us, and He has shown His love to us in Jesus Christ, having having him been nailed in the palms of his hands for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. So we see how God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so let us pray that we may be rooted in this love and that we may have power together with all the other believers here to grasp, yes, how wide and long and deep is the love 
of Jesus Christ for us. Yes, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace that we have been saved. Yes, he has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And so let us remember the gospel of God's hands is such a blessing to us as we live here in this broken and fallen world. Oh, the way we use our hands often reflects the sinfulness of our own hearts. Just think of all what we've done this past week with our hands. And then think of the contrast, the show of God's love in the hands of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's the Lord Jesus who used his hands to touch those who needed healing. His hands were folded in prayer on our behalf, and his hands were nailed to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And as he ascended, his, his hands were raised in blessing upon his church, on us. Beloved, if we are inscribed, engraved on his hands, we can be sure our cares and our worries and our anxieties and concerns will receive his loving care and attention. We all know how life can suddenly reverse from joy to grief. We can be standing on the heights of happiness today and be in the depths of despair tomorrow. A trip to the doctor, devastation of an accident, major decision can change everything and yet we can have this confidence knowing that the days of our lives are not in our own hands no matter how our life goes all things are safely and secure in the lord's hands let us thank and praise the lord that he's inscribed us on his hands he will never leave us never forsake us our times are in his hands for as the Lord also says here at the end of our text, your walls are ever before me. Yes, he's speaking to all of us, to Zion, to his people. And he's speaking here, yes, of the walls that surrounded Jerusalem. Those were walls of love, you can say. And he was reminding them and also us that his love surrounds us. With those walls, the city was safe and secure. And be assured, beloved, that same love surrounds us, keeping us safe and secure. And we sang about that there in Psalm 40 at the beginning of this service. He has shown himself to be our fortress. He makes us secure forever. Even though the forces of doubt and of unbelief, of indifference and ignorance may attempt to overthrow us, the church of God, and seriously deflate us. Remember, beloved, remember God is with us. And as God's people, we are ever surrounded by his love, carried by his hands of love. Indeed, nothing, nothing shall separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. Amen.